Welcome to the life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, the podcast. And the star of the show is Brian Mannix. Bonjour, Kevin. Chez Cousini. So, what did, what did you just say? Parlez-vous français? No, see, I never did French. I did German. Achtung, baby. That's me. Um, well, what I said was, hello, Kevin, I have been cooking. Oh, have you? What have you been cooking? Don't, don't say uh, crack me- suis, or ice or methamphetamine, will you? Je suis la cousine, le fromage, le, le cochon, le bread. Bread? The toast. Oh, toast, yes. <laughs> ham cheese, toasted ham cheese and sandwich. Oh, well, it sounds good, though, when you put it like that. What to be said for a good toasty? Well, I think so. And that's one of the things I'm finding about the Gold Coast is it's like – I, it's taken me a long time to find just sometimes you just want a sandwich. You know, you go and you have a, a palmer. It's like it's huge. It's bigger than me. So just a little small sandwich occasionally is, is a good thing. And yep. this is such a great conversation for our listeners to <laughs> put up with. <laughs> How is life on the Gold Coast before we get to our, our two terrific guests uh, that are on this program? Are you, are you enjoying the sunshine? Are you enjoying walking around with shorts on and not worrying about, you know, well, I'll be honest with you, Kev. It got down to twenty-one today, or twenty, and so I've got. I'm just wearing Melbourne clothes without the jacket. Well, you're but, you know, the Queenslander. Yeah, I am. The sun's shining, and you know, you just look at the ocean, and it's terrific. And you know, because I'm in surface paradise, everybody's happy because they're on holidays. So that's just a good vibes to start with. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's it's just – it's wonderful. It's hard to get anything done because you just feel like you're on holidays all the time, but um, I should have done it 20 years earlier. Hey, and I want to ask you about, before we do get to our two guests, and, and uh, worth waiting for, but uh, I see that the uh, you're doing a, nu- a new show or a new twist on the 80s show with Scotty and uh, and the uh, and the troops, Scotty Khan and the troops, a UK yeah. show. Well, yeah, um, well, you know, um, yeah, it's a good thing. Um, so, you know, we'll still have, you know, the essential songs in there, but I'm going to do a U2 song and okay. it just changes the whole flavour of the whole thing. Because the UK I mean, 80s was all that, was all the Duran Durans and Culture Clubs and well, Spandau Ballets. Would you, do, would you do True by Spandau Ballet or would you knock that one over? I, I think um, Scotty's looking at, a Spandau Ballet song. Sure. I can't remember which one. Yeah, well, he sings the shit out of it. I think it's the all-in brawl. We, we've been to a dragon for 15 years, so it's yep. time to move on. Um, I think we'll – I think Duran Duran's getting a little look in there. But there's a couple of really cool ones in there. Um, I think we're doing a Clash song. I, I don't know. Look, people will have to come along yep. to find out for sure, Kev. Would you do a Who Nick might- Kershaw song? Because he was a big UK act oh. in the 80s. There wasn't many bigger Would- than him. Wouldn't it be good, Kev, if I could do a Nick Kershaw song? Because that would fit in beautifully with who is our guest on the program today. That's, of course, uh, uh, it is 
Boy George. No, it's Nick Kershaw. No, and his dad thought of that name while he was shaving. <laughs> yes, yes. Nick is uh, Nick is joining us. Um, uh, terrific fella. Uh, had a had a ball Lovely talking man. to him, and he was he was terrific. Uh, very generous with his time. So he was good. I think I like our. Um, I think I like our English superstars that we talked to. Like we had a great talk with John Wade. He was terrific. Oh yeah, um, Johnny Johnny Lydon or Johnny Rotten. He was terrific. Um, Kim Wilde. Gary Newman was great. Kim Wilde, you know, and um, yeah, I don't know. Am I overlooking some of the Americans that have been? Oh good yeah, Danny Bonaduce and Mickey Dolans were terrific. Oh, yeah. Gee whiz. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, look, I'm just. Totally full of shit. And our, our mate Rocky Burnett gave us gave us great little interview. So no, I'm I've been very. Yeah, uh, but I'll, I'll raise you Rocky Burnett with a shake of Stevens. Well, there you go. Yeah, when well, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good pack of cards we got. But no, Nick Kershaw's our first guest. Our other guest later in the program uh, is Ross Ryan. Now, I am Pegasus. I love that song. Well, it's one of those songs that we love, and it's just it still holds up today. Oh and, yeah. Um, but. As I recall this interview, Kev, it was like it's like our mate. Uh, no formula for happiness. Uh, G. Wayne Thomas. Know, that, that's what I meant to say. It wasn't that big a deal. This songs that we love, and it's like, oh yeah, I just kind of pulled it together, and this was about you know my girlfriend, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. like it's like wow. Some people's best songs are written when they just don't give a shit about what they're writing. It's 50 years later and he's still scratching his head as to how it was a hit. 50 years? Yep. Now there's an... Oh, no, 40, that, sorry. Sorry, 40. That, it, was, it, was this, it was the night... Oh, no, no, hang on. I, just, I thought you'd 50. give me a lyric. I think you'd give me a lyric idea, but then I think about it. 50 years, <laughs> no. That'll never work. <laughs> See, It'll never work, Kev. No, no, it won't. <laughs> uh, no, it is well, 50 it years. Well, it fucking did get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it did, and it did well. So we'll get to Ross later on, uh, but we'll get to Nick Kershaw Hang on, first. Wait, 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 wait. Can we just say we'll talk to Ross later on? Yeah. Not we'll get into Ross later on. It sounds like a gay orgy. <laughs> this well, is called Life for Brian, it's not gay orgy. <laughs> certainly won't Not that there's that. anything wrong with a gay orgy. Not that I've been to one, but I heard that it's terrific. <laughs> I was, I'm just going to let you back out of that one on your own. Yeah. You can oh, hear, look. Beep, 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 what? beep, look, beep. You, you, you are the guy that's supposed to run this show. <laughs> Why have you let me crap on so uh, much? Yeah, there, <laughs> but there are times when I just, there are times when the car crash happens and I just have to say, ring Murcotts. One three hundred five 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 seven six mercots.edu.au. They are the people advanced driving, defensive driving, uh, gift vouchers. Please uh, get in touch with them. Uh, let's everybody be safe what? on the roads, and they can help you do that. Now, Kev, what if I want to do some assault driving? Like you know, I'm I'm driving a big tank for the police force or something. Couldn't could I go to, and, and I'm not very good at you know ramming through the bank building wall. Would Murkos be able to help me out, do you think? I don't think anyone can help you. <laughs> <laughs> one three hundred triple five five seven six. Oh, let's get to Nick Kershaw. A bit of sanity uh, at last. Look, I'm sorry. We've crapped on so much. We don't have time for Nick. We're just going to have to wind up the show now. Thanks very much for listening. You've been great. Here's Nick. 
So apart from the flu, how are you? Um, yeah, pretty good. Still here. <laughs> well, that's important. Still chipping away. Yeah, very well, thanks. Yeah. Um, is, what are you doing musically at the moment, Nick? Well, I, I come into my – this is my potting shed. This is where the magic doesn't happen. This is I come in here every <laughs> – I try and get in every day and potter about, and sometimes things happen, sometimes they don't, and and the, the net result will either be a new album or, or at the moment what I'm what I'm doing is I've got a thing called Songs from the Shelf that is in progress, which is basically a, just a digital digital only at the moment, but it's songs that I record that I didn't record back uh, from when I was writing. Um, and producing and not doing any recording during the 90s. I, I was clearing out some old hard drives and stuff like that and, and, and some old DAT tapes and uh, and to see what I actually had a couple of years ago and it turned out that there was some quite good tunes on there. So I decided to um, re-record them and release them bit by bit. So Songs from the Shelf Part 1 is out and I'm sort of working on Part 2 at the moment. Can I ask you, when the late 1980s, when you made that decision, was that born out of out of being, you know, jacked off with the industry or tired of being a, the pop star or what, what caused you to kind of have that line of thinking where you went, bugger it, I'm just going to write for other people and produce other people? Yeah, that was, that was kind of, uh, I was half pushed and I half jumped myself. It was a combination of things really. Um, I'd just done my fourth album for, for MCA and I was touring it with I was touring with Elton John, um, and it was clear that the, the fourth album wasn't wasn't doing very well. And also, I had uh, things going on with my record company. A lot of people that signed me originally at MCA weren't there anymore, and it was kind of a different company. And also, I was you know I just I had two year old son at the time, and um, I want to be around for him. And just at the time, I, I just thought, well, what what causes me the most stress and the most and the most stress for me was was the public side of the whole business, really, and me being a you know a celebrity, if you like. Not that it's a a, a switch you can just switch off, but I thought well, wouldn't that be great if I could just sort of go back in the in the background? I can still write, I can still produce. I love being in a studio. That's that's my comfort zone, you know. And I, I'll I'll just do that, and there won't be any more stress, will there? <laughs> Unfortunately, there of course there was, but that's that's. That's life. Um, with your writing, Nick, I think, you know, everybody knows you as the singer of, you know, Wouldn't It Be Good and all the hits and that. But I don't know that many people realise that you wrote them all and they're really great songs and I think, you know, that's why they stand up even today. I'm a songwriter myself and I'm, I'm sort of listening to it and I'm sort of thinking, yeah, he could have written this bit on an acoustic guitar, but hang on, that chord there says to me he's a piano player because you've got a couple of weird chords in there. So let me ask you this. It's a stupid question, but what instrument do you write on? Um, I, I don't really do it on an instrument. That's 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 why you're confused because... Um, ah. And that's why I'm confused. Most of the time it, I just do it in my head and sometimes I'll, 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 once, once I've kind of... I've, I've, the tune does that, and then the chords underneath do that, and then, then when I sit down, with I, I'm a guitar player, right? I don't, I don't play keyboards. Yeah. I, right, I, I can, I can get my key, my computer to play keyboards, but I don't play keyboards. So I'll sit down, and I'll realise that I've made life really difficult for myself by. It's not a guitar-friendly song, this one. So Parts so of it are, but then there's this chords of are, nowhere. Yeah. It's like, where did that come from? But it works really well. Yeah, that's just me 
being a smart ass, really. <laughs> good, well, good for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was. To be fair, it wasn't me being a smart ass initially. It was just me kind of, as I said, that's, that that's what the tune did in my head. So that's that I just followed the tune and the chords went with it. So that's how that worked. But then I I, I realised I was getting a bit of a bit of a reputation for it. And I might have started doing it on purpose just to be, you know, just to be clever. <laughs> Ultimately, probably to the detriment of the song. So I kind of, I did that for a bit and then I thought, actually, this is a bit stupid. This is just really not very productive. So now I just do it when I, I do it less now, I think. I do it when it needs doing, really, when it's when it's a right. kind of a good device to launch you into a chorus or. But yeah, no, I think they're really cool. I was, I was, I was just listening this afternoon and I went, Wow, I would never have thought to go there where, you know, things like I don't wanna be no more and all that. It's really yeah. cool. It's so you could probably blame yeah. Bowie. You blame Bowie. Because he oh, did yeah. that. He yeah. did it all over the place. Life on kinda... Mars and yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Is he the biggest influence on you? And and I've I've seen a few interviews where you talk about him, but did you ever mm. meet him? <laughs> I I nearly met him three times, but that's that's and that's it's a very long, boring story. But basically, I I I, I was a massive fan of his, but in, in the sort of because everybody's got their own Bowie, don't they? It's like everybody's got their own Doctor Who, and my Bowie was was Ziggy Stardust yeah. and Aladdin Sane, and then I went back a bit, and then it was Hunky Dory and and that time. So that's that's the golden age of Bowie for me, and I kind of lost it a bit later on. But yeah, that and and he. he and I was listening to that when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. So that was they, they're your formative years, right? That's when the biggest impact is. So, yeah, he he, he was big. But, I mean, my parent, my there was always music around. My parents were into classical music. And then I, I had various phases. I was I got into prog. I got into heavy metal. I got into – I was a skinhead at one point, so I was obliged to get into <laughs> reggae, obviously. <laughs> um, so just yeah, I had various phases, and then and then I had a phase of, of of actually playing in a jazz fusion band for about three years, and that was that kind of informed quite a lot of my writing, I think. And uh, yeah, so basically, I was just when I when I did start writing my own songs, I, I was quite confused. <laughs> so of, of the of the hits, which one did you write first? Did you write "Wouldn't It Be Good" first, or "Do As I Won't Let the Sun Go Down"? Uh, was that the first one? What was the first one no, of the hits that um, you wrote? In fact, Wouldn't It Be Good was the last song on the Human Racing album to be written. It wasn't, when we started recording, it wasn't written. I don't think there was ever, even ever a demo, as far as I, I'm aware, although there must have been. We must have started from something. But I, I started with six songs. There were six songs that I put on a demo and sent to, to all, around all the record companies. And one of those was I Won't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. So that, that would have been the first one. Yeah. And it, it's not what a lot of people think it's about, is it? Well, no, but it, I mean, it still gets wheeled out now when the sun comes out, and it, that's 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 good for me. That's fine. <laughs> I don't care. But at, at the time, it was because you know that early eighties period was 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 a big time for uh, CND and the campaign for nu- nuclear disarmament, and and lots of marches were going on, and it was it was just a it was kind of about that, and and um, and the sort of mutually assured destruction that was about to happen. So it's a cheery little number about the end of the world, but not, not, many, not many people realise that, and that, that's fine. That doesn't matter. It is what it is to, to whoever's listening to it. Yeah. 
So when you look at some of the stuff that you're doing, that you're finding now with with you doing the, the, the shelf series, is something like I won't let the song go down to me a song you'd like to go back and redo or not? Um, well, once it's out there, I kind of I think you just have to let go of it. But yeah, there were things about the production that I, um, uh, in retrospect, I, I wouldn't do the same. But you know, that's that's of course. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got there's different technology now, and 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 it's people record in very different ways. So obviously, I'd, if I did record it again, I'd I'd change it. Well, why would what the, would the point be otherwise? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny you say that there's things that you have trouble with the production on because, as I said, I was listening to Masaba, but I think. Gee, these are well produced. You know, they're really slick, but they've still got that human quality. And I don't know, I was trying to work out, I was thinking, yeah, it's a lot of compression on this to keep it like that. I was trying to work out, did you produce it or it's really well produced? Yeah, well, you've got the Peter Collins produced it. Um, and he he's to he's to thank for, for not for basically keeping me under control, really, because I, I was like a kid in a in a toy shop, I thought this is this is brilliant. I, I did produce the, the my third album. Um, it was the first album that I produced, which is Radio Music Musicola, and that went just totally over the top and it's probably overproduced. So 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 Peter's genius, I think, was was just knowing when when to stop and know, knowing when things are finished and when knowing when it was you know it, yeah this is a, when things actually sound great. Why are you messing with it? Just it sounds great. So he 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 was the kind of the, the wise man sitting in the corner. You know, we always we started at eleven o'clock in the morning. We never went beyond eight o'clock at, no, at night because because Peter's ears were shot by then. So it was just a great thing. The whole thing was recorded in about ten weeks. But it, you were talking about the actual sound and the compression, and and that's that's a, a, a man from your part of the world to thank for that. A, a, a guy called Julian Mendelson, who then went on to he produced Pet Shop Boys and stuff. And I think he's back. He back. He lives back over there now, just outside Melbourne. I think. Oh right, eh? Yeah, no, he is. He is, and I'm sure he's not enjoying the weather in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, yeah. How many How many times did you manage to get out here? I, I mean, I met you in eighty. I reckon it was eighty four, eighty five. You came out on a eighty five. Eighty five. I saw yeah. him at the Horden Pavilion. It was great. Oh yeah, Horden Pavilion. That's yeah. Really that key. Yeah, that um, was great. Yeah, that was eighty five. Um, and then there's a huge gap. And the next time was 2013 with Kim Wilde. And then the next time was, I think, 2017, 18, something like that with Go West. That's right. Yeah. And Paul Young and wow. Cutting Crew, a whole bunch of us. And who misbehaved the most on the uh, tour, Nick? Because word, <laughs> word, word on the street that it was you. You know, after the gig, you just turned into an animal, started trashing well, your you own know. band room. <laughs> Some things never die, eh? <laughs> well, yeah. The trouble with touring Oz is because I love it over there. I really do, and we always have a blast. It's fantastic. Yeah. But a, it's 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 a bloody long way away. Yeah. B, yeah. you can't afford to have days off because that's going to cost the promoter some money. So you don't have days off, and, and it's uh-huh. brutal because you're you're basically you're gigging, you're gigging at night. Um, and you're up early the next morning for to get to the airport, and then you're in it. Then you're flying, then you're gigging, then you're flying, then you're gigging. Yeah. It's just like gig after gig after gig. You don't usually get much of a much of a breather. And I'm not you getting let, any young. You left out the sound check, but maybe you don't go to the sound check. <laughs> no, I always I, I I do love a sound check. Yeah, I guess yeah. it gives me. I, I hate doing gigs without sound checks. 
but yeah, which is what obviously what you have to do when you do festivals. But I like my sound check. I wonder, are you a Doctor Kershaw now? Are you? <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to use it on my passport, but oh, I yeah, bet um, you do though. Come on, I don't know. Oh, well, well, I yes, I'm a I'm a I, I received a doctorate from the University of Suffolk. They still haven't told me what it's for, but I I just, I'm doctor of life. I don't know what it is. Doctor <laughs> of everything. <laughs> I presume it's something to do with music, but I'm not. It's not actually doctor of music, so it's just a doctorate, which means I get to dress up in a really stupid outfit and have photos taken. If I need a knee operation, you're not going to be no. able to help at all, even though you're a doctor. I'm not going to help. You know, I can't even, you know, but if someone falls over in, in the in the, in the the mall or somewhere, I can't sort of rush through and go, out of my way, I'm a doctor. Or I could, but I'm not going to be a lot of help when I get there, am I? I I'd do it anyway. <laughs> even if there is no one lying on the street, just run through the crowd going, stand back, <laughs> I'm a doctor. You'll get you'll get everywhere faster. This is fantastic. <laughs> Over to you, Kev. Would would that come yeah. as a surprise to your uh, your the teachers uh, during your your schooling that you know you now have a doctorate? Um, yeah, I think most of them. I think they would be quite quite surprised. But you can't blame them. I mean, I got I got the I got the you know the careers chat at, at school, and what are you going to do with self Kershaw? And it was you know I'm going to be a pop star, and obviously they're. That, that was treated with the respect it deserved at the time. And I was, and I flunked out of my A levels as well. I, got, I, got, I remember getting a big lecture from one of my teachers about I was, gonna, I was wasting my life and, and this and that. And he was, you know, he standed a 99.999% chance of being absolutely right, didn't he? Yeah. But, you know, I got lucky. And, and so I'm sure they're either really pissed off or very happy for me. So you didn't go back and do the na, 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 na at any stage? No, I didn't. In fact, there was a, uh, I, I think I, I remember there was some special that they did on me for the BBC at, um, um, in sort of the, at the beginning of 85. And, and um, they went back to my old school and, and interviewed some of my old teachers. And they were, they were very gracious. Okay. So, Brian's really shitty because the school he went to in their arts hall, instead of having a photo of him who's had a couple of, you know, platinum records and done stage shows and stuff, they got a photo of a yeah. bloody football umpire. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. It's no. just not fair, Nick. It's just it's oh, like mate. I didn't even go to that school. Well, sometimes <laughs> I wish I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I, my, my old school is a. It, it was a grammar school, but now it's a, it's a sixth form college, and I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure there aren't any pictures of me anywhere, but um, or statues even. You know, not even a statue. Well, not even a statue. Like oh. even even just a life size statue rather than a forty yeah. foot statue. I'll go for a life size <laughs> one. That'll do. <laughs> you know, I'm not greedy. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Nick, what are you, well, I mean, you, you're talking about that's your pottering round studio and you're doing the, the shelf series at the moment. Uh, so what, what else are you, I mean, I, I think you've got, a, have you got a gig this weekend. You're doing live Let R- Leeds Rock. Is that this weekend? It's, it's, there's, a, the, uh, there's a franchise called Let's Rock, which is um, quite vague in its um, description, but it's, it's pretty much, it's, it's, it's us usual suspects. It's the 80s mob. Yep. And there's about 14 shows a year, I think, now. They do around the country. 
And they're, they're very well attended and stuff. They were like 15,000, 20,000 people in a field. You name them, we're there. And you bump into a field with, with all your old mates and stuff. So it's, it's, you know, it's your mid-years, it's your Kim Wilds, it's your OMDs and your Human Leagues and your... If it's everybody, yep. pretty much, other than the, the, the few who, who don't need the money, like Duran <laughs> <laughs> or, or whoever. There are a few that, that haven't sullied themselves with, with any of the retro, <laughs> retrospective festivals. And I, I was one of them. I was quite snooty about doing any of that kind of thing, about sort of mid-2005s, I guess, because I thought, well, you know, I'm bringing new music out and it kind of detracts from that and people aren't taking it seriously and then... And then I sort of just got got over myself a little bit and then saw that all my mates were having a huge amount of fun. And I thought, oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah. I'll have some of that. So, and, and it is, it's just brilliant fun. And, and you go and, and you know exactly what's expected of you and and you deliver that. And, and it's just, it's kind of a ritual you go through and you sing those songs and they they sing them back at you. And it's just it's just great fun. Is it still fun for you to, to, to sing you know, wouldn't it be good and the riddle and all those songs? It is. I mean, I think every artist goes through the stage of um, of resenting the old songs. I think in in, in that kind of you don't want to be defined by something you did forty years ago. But but they've you know those songs have been incredibly good to me, um, and they've put me kids through school and university, and they they're still being very good to me. Um, and they've touched people's lives, you know, whether it's anything to do with me or not. They have touched, genuinely touched people, um, which is a huge privilege for me. I did go through that stage of just, oh, I don't have to play this one again, do I? And 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 change. I used I changed the songs a lot. I did I did did what Dylan did, made them almost unrecognisable. And and then I figured out. Eventually, I came around the other the other side, and actually, people want to go and hear the record. They they want to hear, want to feel how they felt when they put that record on. Yeah. Back in 1984 or whatever, so I, I'm the the versions I do now are much more faithful. And even even when I'm doing my own shows and I'm doing to, to, and I'm playing new stuff as well, and I'm I'm, I'm really mixing it up. It's just the old songs are great. That are lovely to just have. They're, they're like little jewels that you can. They're little stepping stones through the, through the set. And, and there's like little save points. Yeah, <laughs> you've just finished one from your new album, and everybody's looking at looking at you with quite a glazed expression. <laughs> And then you hit them with one of the hits, and it's like, yeah, we're back again. And it's just, um, they're, they're great things to have. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but well, obviously, when you wrote, wouldn't it be good? You didn't know that it was going to be a big hit because it was kind of the the song you were looking for to fill the album out. Well, well, no, it was. I think we knew we got a good and when when we when we started recording it, it okay. just kind of it was one of those ones that just grew in a studio. As I said, because I don't remember an actual demo, or it's a very very basic one. If there was one probably just me singing into a cassette player or something. So it just became this huge monster. And and so I, it sounds arrogant, but at the time also, you, you're having a huge amount of attention lav- lavished on you and, and a lot of money spent on you. And, and you, yeah, there's people around you th- telling you it's going to happen, absolutely, no doubt whatsoever. And, I, I, and then you, you take that on. You think, well, yes, of course it's going to happen. It's going to be a massive hit. And it's not till you get out the other side and you realise that, there's so many people in the same position I was in being told exactly the same thing and it didn't happen, you know, so it's just, that's the way it is. But you, but I think you have to have that confidence and that almost arrogance to, to, to believe it's going to happen. Otherwise it probably wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, saw a lovely story about your first appearance on Top of the Pops. You got pulled over on the way to the 
to the recording? No, it was off. Yeah. It was off, Kev, on the way. No, no, it's, <laughs> it was definitely over. I would, I would. <laughs> uh, you know, okay. Oh, yeah. It was an officer of the law, yeah, who, who pulled me over. Um uh, for off, but what if, <laughs> yeah, that would I'm have been sorry. a proper story, wouldn't it? That would have been a hell of a story. <laughs> sorry. No, I was on my way there, and I'd, I'd hired a car because my my sort of Austin 1100 wasn't wasn't going to do the job. Drive me all the way to London, so I hired a car to drive to the top of the pop studio and jump the lights in 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 Walthamstow. It was, and the guy pulled me over, and it, it, of course the conversation went to where are you going, sir? In such a hurry, and I told him, and he. He thought I was taking the piss, but what could I tell him? That was the truth. Yeah. Did you try it again at a later date to use that as an excuse and found it wanting again, or was that its one and only appearance? No, I'm no, not really. No, I'm going to top of the pops. It, it did. No, no, not that particular excuse. In fact, it, it did work to my advantage, to the to the shame of 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 of, of, of me and the and the local constabulary. I think because I, I was pulled over at one point for for speeding on the M11 and I, would you get in the car please sir I got in the car and uh, have you got your licence please sir gave me licence and he went Mr Kershaw he said yeah he said, Mr Nick Kershaw he said yep he said what you're the singer Nick Kershaw he said yep oh, oh mind daddy go Mr Kershaw there's some, <laughs> there's some very bad drivers out there on your way so I got, I got off so I got off that one that worked doesn't work anymore, but you know, there was a moment. Very good. That's it. Well, yeah. you've got to get one of them, haven't you? That's that's a perk. The perks of the job. Okay. You have to have some perks in the job somewhere. Absolutely. Hey, um yeah. got a lovely relationship with Elton John. Is that is that still to today that, that you and he are good friends? Um I no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that, that we were great friends. I, I think we were I, I, yeah, what a, did he do? What no, did he, he didn't. Do? No, he didn't. No, I didn't. Did you know people grow apart? But anyway, but see, it, it got, works like this. this is, he got this back on the drink and he started smashing shit. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, he, he, he was he was brilliant. He was lovely, and he he, he was a, a great champion for me. And, and we, we we spent a fair bit of time together over about four or five years. And he was he was fantastic, and he still does that to this day. He he he, he brings on new talent, he encourages people, and he he's, he's got this thirst for new music, which is unbelievable. I remember bumping into him in Tower Records in in Los Angeles. He had a shopping trolley just full of new music, and he was just literally going to go back to his pad and, and and listen to this new music. Anyway, so this is this is how it goes. So so you're great friends with Elton, and you get you get Fortnum and Mason hampers for Christmas, right? Massive Fortnum and Mason. Posh hampers for Christmas, caviar, champagne, oh wow, massive thing. Then after a couple of years you go down a bit and then you get a bottle of you get a bottle of Moe, you know, for, for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Then there's no Moe, but there's a card, nice card, which is handwritten. Then you get the so I'm I'm down to the not handwritten cards now. That's what oh. I get. <laughs> so, you know. Oh. And he never writes, he never calls. What Yo, are you gonna do? I'm- You'll be with us soon, Nick. Oh, yeah, really? De- man, we don't get anything. Sorry. Yeah, we get nothing. <laughs> you know, well, we're going to pay for his records. 
Yeah, I know exactly. Mind you, I never, I never sent him a cut anything. So it's, I, he might have thought after sort of forty years of fuck it, he's never sent me anything. <laughs> why, why should I keep sending him cards? Yeah. You know. Hey, Nick, the, anyway. the versions that have been done of your songs over the years and the stuff you've written for other people. What's the stuff that you you, you still like? I mean, uh, there was a few versions of Wouldn't It Be Good. I think one was on a soundtrack of a movie at one stage. That that was a bit of a bit of a. A sore point, the, the the wouldn't it be good story because that was on Pretty and Pink. Yeah, that's right. At the same time, we were trying to break me as an artist in the states. Ah. Oh. So it was kind of, oh look, there's someone else singing your song on this massive soundtrack, and I'm like, eh? <laughs> nobody asked me. Um, so that's a yeah that that was that was a bit of a a, a tricky one, but um. There's, yeah, there's been some loads. There've been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of, of versions of the riddle. I mean, I've, it's from from choral arrangements to to a French harpist did it at one point. Loads of dance mixes. I mean, I get probably one every two weeks sent to me. So I've done this dance mix, and I'm like, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then. And then, uh, so, but but not so many versions that wouldn't be good, really. No, there's, there's a few, and they're both. I think Tina Arena did one at one point, and that was that's, that was a lovely version. Okay, version of one. And there's a, there's a new one coming out by a, a couple called The Sound of Asia, and that's a, a lovely version too. Anyone you'd like to have, would like to have recorded that song? Placebo did it. Oh, I forgot that. Placebo did a version of Wouldn't It Be Good. Okay. Which is, great, which is great, yeah, yeah, full on. It's always a bonus when somebody decides they want to record your song. I'm, I'm happy for anybody to have a go. I think Elvis would have sang "Wouldn't It Be Good" very well. Yeah, what, wouldn't it be good to be in your shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear that. Yeah. yeah, I think that'd be good. Um, Bit late now. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> and very disappointing now that you come to think of it. Kev, I stopped making sense about half an hour ago. Yeah, we know that, Brian. We're, 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 we're quickly moving on. Hey, uh, uh, the, the bloke who, uh, the man, uh, the company who sponsors our podcast, uh, Mark Lane, uh, is is a massive fan of yours. He was the one who said to me, you've got to get Nick Kershaw on the show because the stuff, and I said, oh, yeah, I, I like Nick. He said, no, the stuff he's been doing, he loved eight. He thought eight was fantastic. Oh, okay. He loves Runaway. He put me on to Runaway and said, you've got to listen to yeah. this song. He said, I think this is just one of the best songs ever. And it is, it's a bloody ripping song. I can't believe it oh, wasn't a, it wasn't a hit because it is just a great song. Well, it was it wasn't a single. It was never a single anyway. Oh, it okay. Was, you know, I kind of I kind of nicked the idea from um, who did it? It was, it was an Oz band, wasn't it? It was, but um, because the, the punchline being, if you leave me, can I come too? Uh, no, metal is anything. anything. Who was that? Metal is anything. Mental. There you go. Mental is anything. Yeah, so it wasn't an original idea for a start, so I was a bit sheepish about chucking it out there, which is why I changed the title. Yeah. But it just it just sat so well and just fitted so well with the melody I had and everything. I thought, well, yeah. No, I'm quite pleased with that one too. Yeah, yeah no, it's a good song. So Oxymoron, which was the album you did, was that during the pandemic or before the pandemic? I, I, I made it before the pandemic. It was, uh, it was um, released during it. Yeah. Specifically, so I couldn't promote it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's right. running. Um, no, it was all ready to go, and then the pandemic happened, and then we held it off, and then we held it off, and thought, well, this is going to be, it's just going to be old news by the time it's, it was all over. So, 
we released it anyway. Yeah, that was recorded. That was a bit of a different project for me because I did it for a um, a company called Audio Network, who are who are mainly kind of production music company. Yeah, and they they did it for TV and film and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, the net result, I th- I, th- I'm, I was very pleased with the net result. The, the result, which was you know obviously getting to work at Abbey Road and with some big orchestras and stuff like that. That was, that, that was great fun to do. Yeah. So I was, I was very happy with the, with the final product. Yeah. So are we likely to see you come to Australia again, or do you think that is maybe not on the cards? No, it's not, it's not off the cards, but by, by any stretch of the imagination, it's, I, you know, I get, I think there's, there's an offer in at the moment that we're kind of chewing over, uh, whether it happens or not. I'm pretty, I'm sure it will at some point. It's just fitting it in and, and making it worthwhile really. It'd be good. It'd be, be good to get back down there again. The wife's never been. I've got to take her over there.
It's the life of Brian. Dot dot dot. Manic that is the podcast. Wouldn't it be good, Nancy? You should have a crack at that song in uh, in the '80s show for the uh, absolute well, '80s UK version. I'm pleased you asked me about that. Get it in here because I was talking to a, a, a young lady the other day, and she said, "Wouldn't it be wood?" And I thought, "There's a lyric. <laughs> it'd be a nice, it'd be a nice follow up for Nick." Yeah, yeah I'm sure. For, you know, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't it be wood? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think chicks, I think chicks will dig it. Thank God you wrote 50 years, 10, 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was. It'll never work, Kevin. It'll no, never work. No. Let's it's get like to our Farnham. next. <laughs> oh, do we have to? Yeah. This is the middle part. Yeah. Okay, let's get to the next thing. But, yeah, we you know. get to the next guest. And our next guest is a beauty, uh, was a, a massive star in the early part of the 70s. Uh, when I first started on radio, this was one of the biggest songs ever. I love this song. Uh, and we're going to talk to the man who created it and sang it, and, uh, and we both love it. So uh, here is Ross Ryan talking about a great song of his and other things, I Am Pegasus. I'm hung like a horse. Is that what it meant? <laughs> we'll find out. Uh... What are you up to these days? What are you doing? I'm just saying to Brian that yesterday um, was seven years since I did my last gig. So I'm a retired man. And what are you doing, though? Retired's, retired's a word that means you're not working professionally, but what are you doing stuff? You're writing? What are you doing? No, um, I'm, just, I'm just being a house person and loving. I mean, we do a lot of travel when, the, when there isn't a coronavirus. My wife, she's um, British, so we spend a lot of time there. In Cornwall, and we've just been doing up the house. We've been renovating, and um, you know, it sounds like we're doing nothing, but yeah. it's, it's really been fantastic. So obviously, you made a shitload of money out of Iron Pegasus. <laughs> well, that's that's it. I don't know about a shitload of money, but there is an advantage of not being in a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the life of a solo act. See, Brian, he gets it all. You only get a fifth. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. Um, I'm just lucky. Oh, good on you. Well done. So what, is, so what was the inspiration for um, I Am Pegasus, Ross? Well, first of all, it, was, it, was, it started out as being a, um, I suppose, a comedy track song. Because Ross does mean horse. Oh. So that's that's for the beginning of that. I am flying, or well, that was Pegasus the Flying Horse, so that was in the song. Yeah. Um, that was an air hostess reference, wasn't it? There was an air host reference, yes. And it, uh, it, was, it was just, it was kind of a litany of my high school girlfriend and um, a hostess and somebody else I'd met. So it was kind of, it was actually, like I said, I think people found it very intense and mystical, but really it was supposed to be a comedy track. But there you go. <laughs> Maybe you're not funny enough. <laughs> well, myst- mystical well, worked well. Song. I mean, that whole kind of like, you know, I am Michael, I am Jeffrey, I'm, uh, that Demetrius and all well, that sort of stuff all worked. Well, they're, they're all the names of boyfriends. Michael, Jeffrey and John are all boyfriends of, of those women. So. Right. Oh, okay. It's a pretty big production on the record. Like it's, you got an orchestra in there towards the end. And yeah, is that yes. so? Um, how many in the orchestra? How many people are playing on the record? Oh God! Um, they had that thing that that whole album that came from the My Name Means Horse album was um, it had a lot of orchestral stuff on it. But I suppose that would be twelve piece orchestra, something like that. Wow! Yeah. 
Wow, I'd love to, I'd love to record with a twelve piece orchestra. But, uh, no, no, it was it was it was good fun for sure. Yeah, and who um, scores the string section for something like that? Because you know, obviously, you've written the song, but does somebody come in and says, "Well, right, no, string line's going to play this and all that sort of stuff"? Um, well, yes, yes, and um, um, his, his name escapes me. He's, he'll kill me for not remembering his name. It's because I'm getting old. I can't remember things. Um, right. <laughs> but yes, there was there was a, a, a yeah there was a director that came in and wrote scores for all the stuff. Ross, I'm surmising that you wrote it as an acoustic, like just you wrote on the guitar. Yeah. Did did you and Peter Dawkins, who who produced the album, produce the single and stuff? Did you sit down and then turn it into the the grandiose thing that happened, or did that kind of just happen? That it, it became grandiose because of the string stuff. So the arrangement was totally up to the um, um, arranger. And I was quite happy with it. I was just chuffed that, you know, there's my song with an orchestra behind it. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. And like I said, I wasn't really expecting it to be a hit. I, like I said, it was a song that we were working on and I thought that it was, um, it was you know, we were doing a number of songs, um, but they said, no, that's the, that's the single, and they were right. Yeah, because what did it get to? It got to number one, didn't it? It didn't get to number one nationally because at that stage all states had a different. There wasn't a national, yeah, uh, right thing. But it went to number one in every state, but just not at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very difficult to get every state to perform at the same time. You know, you're number one in New South Wales and Queensland, but you're number fifteen or something in Perth. I get that. Did it was it released overseas at all, Ross? I th- I think they may have that the album. My fr- no, actually, I don't think it was no, because uh, it was. I'd only done one album prior to that called "A Poem You Can Keep," that went over well, but it didn't really have a hit song on it. Um, uh, and that album was released in uh, America. And, oh yeah, but the second one wasn't. The horse one wasn't. The um, the, the poem you can keep. I remember being because I started in radio in 1973, which was you know when you were when you were emerging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, there's a song I remember. I don't want to know about it. I don't don't. What was that called on that album? Yeah, I don't want to know about it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, I, I remember playing that on the radio in Brisbane. Yeah, I thought that, that was okay. I thought that was a, a nice little good poppy song. Yeah. It's a pity it didn't get uh, Pegasus didn't get released overseas because it, you know, really sounds like a world beater. You know, I can imagine that doing well in America or England or you know any country. I think. Um, but see, I don't understand why, how it could have been such a big hit. I was I was listening to it the other day from the TV show, and um, and I was going, how did this? Get, how is this a, ever a hit? <laughs> All I can hear is the flaws in it, and the, you know what I consider. It just seems like a, a teenage song, really. But I'm grateful that people feel differently, and I probably on songs that I think are terrific. Um, I've assumed the people who wrote them and played them can go, oh, no, with that thing in the fourth verse, oh, no, you, how could you like that? You know, that so if you were to go back and reconstruct um, mm-hmm. Pegasus today, what would you change? I would probably not make it so orchestral. I would still keep the orchestral stuff, but I would probably just maybe just toughen it up a bit more, maybe change some of the lyrics that are, are a bit cheesy. I can't think of which one's at the top of my head, but maybe I'd take <laughs> the other girl's boyfriends out. <laughs> <laughs> and has it been covered by other artists at all? No, not that I know of. 
wow, that's really surprising because it's, you know, it's just such an instant song. And I think it's a great song, obviously, but I think it's a hell of a vocal performance from you. Your voice sounds amazing in it. It's a really, really good vocal, I reckon. Oh, thank you. No yeah, problem. Thank you for doing it. Because, <laughs> Ross, am I right? You didn't, you didn't originally sort of set out to be a singer. That wasn't what you thought you were going to be, was it? No, not really. I, I, was, I wanted to be a, a producer. I wanted to be George Martin. I grew up in Albany in Western Australia. My girlfriend at the time, her, who was Christine, her brother worked at, at Channel 9 in Perth. And he got me a gig there. And when I got there, they said, oh, you've been in it because I was in a band or something in Albany. And they said, oh, you, you've, you've worked in a band. We'll make you an audio operator. And I thought, this is fantastic. I'm on my, on my way to being George Martin. <laughs> and whilst I was there, I recorded an album. Well, they let me in at the after hours. And I did an album called Home Movies. Not to kind of um, become a, a, an act or a singer, but to to teach myself how to make an album so I could be George Martin. And it was such a novelty at the time in 1971, 72, for anybody to record an album, particularly in WA, that some of the guys that used to come in to do booth work were DJs and, and radio stations and that this, they knew this project was going on. They said, oh, when you, when you finish it, you'd like a copy. And then they started playing tracks of it from on air. Um, wow. Which really... I was quite chuffed by that. And I was doing gigs around and it gave me a bit of a profile and I was working around in coffee lounges and stuff playing around. Roy Orbison was touring. He came, he started off in Darwin and the second stop was Perth and halfway through that his support act had to leave and they needed somebody and because whatever station it was, I think it was 6pm, suggested I should do it. So I... I opened up for Roy Wow! in Perth uh, with an act that said, it said, I have no reason to be here. I am so lucky. I am totally petrified. And everyone started laughing and clapping. I went, hey, this is working. <laughs> and and the, um, the promoter said, hey, that was great. Would you like to do the rest of the Australian tour? So I did. So I went from nowhere to touring with Roy Orbison and, and then got like, you know, three or four record companies wanting to record my stuff. It was just total luck. I wasn't wow. pursuing it. I just stumbled into it. Wow. Did you get to meet Roy? Yeah, sure. Oh, right. Yeah, because I, I toured with Lon Stewart and, you know, I spent about 10 minutes with Lon, I reckon, but, um, <laughs> you know, so, but. What was Roy like? Was Roy times, like I sat next to him on the plane and talked music and stuff. And my my parents, who were huge Roy Orbison fans, were really impressed. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were not happy because I left the farm. But they, well, if you're going to leave the farm and tour with Roy Orbison, I suppose that's okay. So. You actually you toured with some amazingly uh, diverse kind of acts over the the years in that in that early part of the seventies. Yes, yes. I mean, the um, ho- you did the Hollies. Hollies, that was terrific. They were nice guys. Helen Reddy? Um, Helen, Helen Reddy, yes. Yes, Helen. Um, who else? Roberta Flack, who was... Wow. She, she was terrific, but she wasn't very friendly. Um, no. But, you know, she didn't need to be friendly to the likes of me. Um, <laughs> what about Roger, Roger Miller? Miller I, I, Roger Miller I toured with, and that was just terrific. I was a big fan of Roger Miller since I was a kid. 
and he's one of the he was one of the funniest men or per people that a person I've ever met. He was just hilarious. He was a great guy. I love that tour. That was in New Zealand. We toured. That was. Wow. Oh, God, I'm so pleased to hear that because I loved you. You can't roller skate in the buffalo herd. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Dr. Hook was the other one. They were also fabulous. They were, once again, really funny guys. It was just great hanging out with them. There was like, there was, they were not stars. They just embraced me as part of the team. And I was just one of the guys. It was a real honor. And you deal with wow. Michael Franks? I did in America, yes. I did some gigs with him in the US, yes. Wow. Yeah, just a couple of things, but the main, the best part was that I um, I got to play at the Bitter End in New York as his support. And, of course, that was like, to me, was you know, the Bitter End in New York. That's where Dylan and everybody started off and all that. And so I was quite chuffed to be able to be on stage there. Oh, wow. And, um, and, but what's amazing, I couldn't believe it, the Bitter End, they, they sell ice cream sodas. They didn't at that stage, have a liquor licence. Uh, oh. <laughs> so you sat there with an ice cream drink watching all these incredible acts. <laughs> Good grief. I, I, I can't imagine going to a gig and, you know, there not being a slab of beer there for me. Yeah, right in the middle yeah. of New York. You were the top places there. There they are with ice cream. Yeah, have an ice cream Sunday and have a good gig. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. Um, <laughs> Is the bitter end in Greenwich Village? Yeah, it is, yes. Oh, God, yeah. So it's sort of a real folk sort of place, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was that was the place. That's, you know, that's where, like I said, that's where Dylan made his stand and his name from there. So, Ross, yeah. you, you said the, the record wasn't released in America. So why were you doing gigs in America? Um, I was doing that on the on the end of, um, of the first album I had done before the horse thing happened. Which was released in America, so I went there for that. Okay, is that when you did? Is that when you did the thing in Spokane and represented Australia at a like a music festival competition thing? Um, no, that was probably about eighteen months later. Oh, okay. And so that would have been in the um, Pegasus era. Yeah, okay. Better. Or as you now lovingly refer to it, that horse thing. <laughs> yeah. The horse thing. I, I, I actually did a, a comedy show <laughs> a few years ago that was called Sing the One About the Horse, and, um, <laughs> which um, really went over well. I, I really enjoyed doing that, doing an audiovisual show um, of that as, um, at the Troubadour in Melbourne and, and, and in Adelaide and a few places. And, uh, yeah, so that, it was nice to be able to drag the song out and um, – Take the piss out of it and, and and show business in general. Isn't that isn't that such an Aussie expression? Uh, at a pissed at a, at a at a pub somewhere. Hey, sing the one about the horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was thinking about this. We should get Daryl Braithwaite to do a cover of it. He's, he goes well with horses. And, <laughs> yes. you know. I'm, I'm really grateful to him because he took away the horse thing, and I was really handy, happy to. Hand that one over to him. <laughs> well, now he goes to a pub and some drunk yells out, hey, play that horsey thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same drunk that was watching Ross in 1975. <laughs> well, Slim Dusty had a similar problem when he put out Gun to Windy Gray. Um, he'd go to the pub and the people would say, hey, play that horse thing. <laughs> 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 hey, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you wrote uh, the, the, you know, that that was a comedy thing. You wrote a co- did you write a sitcom? No, I, what I I was part of a, a kids' TV sh- show of the ABC called Give Them Heaps. Yeah, 
What was that? And, uh, that was fantastic fun. It was. A, you may remember Mike Mead. Yeah, Flashes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Mike was also from Channel Nine in Perth. He came over about the same time as I did and got this gig at Channel Nine. No, sorry, the ABC doing this, doing a bunch of stuff, and they they wanted to do a comedy show, a kids comedy show, and it was supposed to be for eight to twelve year olds, but it kind of went from fifteen to twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was just terrific. Just just to to um, sit around and write ridiculous, stupid things and say, look, oh, we, we got this idea of, of Tarzan and an elephant. So they would give us Tarzan outfits. We go sit in the paddock, and a, a, a live elephant would turn up in a field, and they take it off a truck, and we'd, we'd do a you know a one minute gag thing, and off to the next thing. It was just. Total self-indulgence. <laughs> Did people say to you, hey, play that elephant thing? <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Hey, do you remember uh, who gave you a gold record for Pegasus? Absolutely. Well, actually it wasn't for Pegasus. I, I can't remember who gave me the, the gold record for the single, but for the album I can. Yeah. And that was Gough Whitlam. Wow. And in fact, my, that's... My prized possession of my whole career is in the next room from here is a picture of of um, Gough Whitlam handing me a gold record signed by Gough. Oh, wow. That, that to me is the highlight of my career. I am so proud of that. I'm, I'm not yeah. one for putting up lots of posters and playing my own songs and stuff, but that, I put that out. That's a that's amazing for yeah, me. Yeah, bloody oath. That's, that's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Did um did Pegasus change your life? Oh, of course. I mean, just 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 basically being able to make records and stuff that changed my life. But yeah, certainly Pegasus. That song just lifted me out of the kind of the folky thing, um, which was good and bad. But yeah, no, one of the luckiest guys you'll ever speak to. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. It was. I just kept waking, just thinking they're gonna. <laughs> they're going to sort this out eventually. <laughs> what is this guy doing here? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ever get, uh, and I won't, shitty's not the right word, but did you ever get annoyed that some of the other songs that you did, like 606 and Orchestral Ladies and all those so- songs, Blood on the Microphone, that they were kind of overlooked because of Pegasus? Did that ever annoy you? Um, it only was annoying in as much that, I thought some of those songs were better than um, than Pegasus, which once again I, I thought was a novelty song, but not not really. I mean, later on, I as as I, in my own opinion, my songwriting and my singing improved over the next few years. But that time, but that time it tumbled into the kind of um, a, a different style of music was happening at the time, and um, which I didn't fit into. I, I was. I was really in that sort of folky thing, yeah. Um, which I really, to this day, still really like. Um, you know, the solo act dude who gets to go home with more money. Um, <laughs> 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 um, but no, no. I, look, I always, I always thought it was a total privilege to have got to be a Beatle, and that's kind of what I dreamt of as a kid. I wish I. I even wrote a song called Please, Mr. Epstein, Can I Join the Beatles? Julie, oh. <laughs> I think we all wanted to be a Beatle at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I even had the plastic Beatle wigs when I was a little kid, you know, the plastic ones on your head. Yeah, that was, I had one that of those. Was, 
Yep. Oh, they were. I'd love to still have it because <laughs> I reckon I reckon I'd wear it on stage. And um, <laughs> but but you know they just look great, and nobody's got them. You can't get them anymore. But um, yeah, the plastic fortune now. Yeah, yeah, would be. I reckon. Um, yeah, I, and I'd still wear it. I'd probably wear it to go shopping if I had one. But that's just that's just me. <laughs> what do you listen to these days, Ross? What what sort of stuff? Old stuff or new stuff? Or I don't listen to very much music at all these days. Uh, Not to go anything against it. I I think I just got sick of the whole format of a song. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. You, you, the formula becomes predictable, and so therefore it's not as exciting as uh, it's like a, a Hollywood movie. If you, you sort of, I, I think you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think also having been a songwriter and, and knowing how it's done, that kind of takes away a bit of the magic from a lot of the material that you just take at face value. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's probably very few songwriters that like Iron Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> For that very reason. <laughs> well, bugger them, I say. Yeah, me too. Because I love that song. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm very happy for it, and um, I liked it at the time. I think I just, I, look, I mean, you can understand, it kind of got worn out a bit. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah, but it did get you a few ice cream sundaes at the uh, bitter end. It did, no. I am, I'm, I'm very, very, um, very grateful to the horse. Thing, um, and and it, and it surprises me when certain people would just out of nowhere just sort of see me in the street. Like I, I look nothing like I used to. Like I had beard then. Yeah. Um, and so say, oh, I remember seeing you at such and such, and just love that horse song. And I go, oh, thank you. That's. I'm really. You do get chuffed, and it's not. It only doesn't happen that much, but just occasionally it pops up and reminds you. You go, oh. There was this was a great one that happened a couple of years ago. There was a um, a fruit and veg place that's about I don't know about twenty k out of Melbourne, out in the up in the hills, and um, these two guys that were probably in their thirties, I suppose. Um, their dad was a fan, and they grew up with the horse album <laughs> to the extent that they had this thing that they were trying to um, had a competition for people to come into the. Um, Thing. And if they sold so many um, bits of food or something that they would get me to turn up and play Pegasus to all the people that were there. And you did, so they, didn't you? Yeah, so I turned up and did it. Yeah. But and it was it was it was it was really touching for a start, and it was just hilarious. These guys were very, very funny. It, it was a, I was quite chuffed to be asked. Yes, live at the <laughs> Sylvan Fruit Shop. <laughs> yeah. Those were the days, Ross. Oh. <laughs> well, that's like this only happened about two years ago. <laughs> you do the horse thing, you could do the cauliflower thing. <laughs> On a roll. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's it uh, terrific, terrific catching up with you. It's uh, fabulous to, to know you're, uh, you're, you're happy and healthy and, uh, and, uh, and enjoying a good life. I am indeed. I, you're talking to a lucky man. Yeah, no, and, uh, and and look, thank you because, uh, as Brian and I both said, we love that song uh, and, and I loved yep. a, a whole lot of other stuff you did that I played on the radio too, which well, I really enjoyed. Thank you. So uh, continue good health and uh, have, uh, happy travels when you can get in a plane and go somewhere. Yes, yes, we're, we're keen on getting back into Cornwall as soon as we got <laughs> we're not too scared to go. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Good on you, mate. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys, and thanks a lot. I enjoyed the chat. Our pleasure. Thank you, mate. Cheers. See you, Ross. Bye. I am Pegasus, my name means horse, and I can fly with you, but I've changed my course. I am Michael, I am Jeffrey and John, and I don't have to leave you, but I shall be gone.
There you go. That's the song. I love that song. I love that song. I loved it's playing that beauty. song on the radio too. It was such a good song. And um, in the early part of my radio career, and I just it was one of those songs when it when it came up in the box at the front, you went, "Yes, here we go." Going to play I, this one. I remember. I remember listening to you uh, back at that time, Kevin. And um, forty-seven minutes of the hour was just "I Am Pegasus" over <laughs> and over and over again. Actually, I had a I had a, a competition, a bet with a mate of mine uh, in Longreach at the time. I bet that rock and roll I gave you all the best years of my life would be a bigger hit than "I Am Pegasus," and he said, "No, nah, I Am Pegasus" will be bigger." I loved them both, but I thought I thought to Kevin Johnson might be bigger. Kevin I Johnson was bigger, bigger internationally, but not bigger in Australia. Really? Yeah, Ross was bigger in Australia. Because he's, he's our mate. We had him on the show. Yeah, we had him both on the he show. told us all about the song. Well, why don't we, since we know them both, why don't we set up a celebrity boxing match? <laughs> we have Kevin Johnson. No, as you, as you heard Ross, Ross Ryan. As you heard Ross with say. Ross Wilson as the, um, as the referee. Yeah, Ross can go, now listen, let's get ready to rumble. Who we're stepping out? Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, in the left corner in the red trunks, I am Pegasus. <laughs> right, Pegasus in the left corner, in the right corner. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Let's let's finish this off and say thank you to our good friends at Murcotts. one 555 Be a better driver. Just, you know, just... Make, make that step for yourself or for someone that you know in your family would benefit from it uh, or your business. Yep. You've got uh, people in, uh, you know, driving around for your business. Uh, give them one of these fantastic advanced driving courses, one three hundred five 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 seven six. 555 576 Yeah. Jump on the website, mercots.edu.au. Thanks to Nick Kershaw. That's it. Thanks to Nick Kershaw. Thanks to Ross Ryan. A couple of terrific blokes. Really enjoyed the chats with them. Coming up uh, in in episodes to come, we're going to talk to Matt Taylor and Phil Manning, two of the greats. Two of the greats. I tell you what, um, they are great. And um, I found... um, Matt Taylor, particularly funny. Oh, hysterical. And, and and one of the things that we found out about recording, I remember when I was young, it blew my mind. That will be coming you know in the next episode. You know what I'm talking episode. about? Yeah, I do. I do. It will be coming Stay in tuned the, to find out. In the next episode of uh, Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, uh, along with uh, Russell Hitchcock from Air Supply in the coming weeks and ostentatious as well. So we've got lots coming up. Uh, Brian, oh. uh, just <laughs> be careful. Oh. Be good. That's flipping. Yep, good. Thank you, mate. And look after yourself, (laughs) and I'll see you on the next episode. All right. Keep on rocking, my friend.